You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Lucy Kelson. And I'm Ruth Flegman. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, February 28th, 2023. Later in the program, Big Talk producer Michael Glab speaks with 2023 mayoral candidate for the city of Bloomington, Carrie Thompson. Thompson has served as executive director for Indiana University's Center for Rural Engagement since 2018. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half an hour, we have the latest edition of Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. But first, your local headlines. At the Bloomington Historic Preservation Commission meeting on February 23rd, Historic Preservation Program Manager Gloria Colombrania shared a request for a demolition delay at 1017 South Walnut Street. Branya presented her historic research on the house. So the, own, the petitioner is requesting for demolition of the main house and garage. Um, the front, so staff basically put what um, I was able to find in my research. Um, the first comments are from the, sorry, from the resurvey. Um, the Bloomington 2018 resurvey. So the front porch is under the main roof across the central bay as a wood freeze, limestone columns and half walls with stone caps. So some description there. Um, finding information on this house proved more challenging as it did not appear on the Sanborn maps. It was too far south from the city center or in the city directories until 1950, even though it was built much earlier. So in 1950, Jack and Leanne Dorsey, um, they, Jack was a, a painter, um, according to the directory, along with Julian and Lily Dorsey, and Julian was a stonemason, um, lived in this house along with a woman called Pearl Robertson, who worked as a cook at Indiana University. So all I could find was information at one point that different working class people um, lived in this space. And... Um, the building has been altered over time, and um, I believe the owner can, petitioner can speak more about uh, structural conditions. Um, but yeah, after the going over the documents, um, staff could not find um, enough supporting material to make a case for nomination and therefore recommends release of the demolition delay. The petitioner, Michael Bradovsky, explained why he would like permission to do a full demolition of the main house and garage. I own the building next door to this property, um, 1021 South Walnut. Um, I have a recording studio in there. Um, it's been there for 15 years. And I we built two Airbnbs at the top level, and we have a big warehouse that we'll do something with. And basically this property 1017 South Walnut has been right next door to me, and the property line is actually three inches from my building. 
and it, I've seen it over the 15 years. It's been a like a, a print shop. It's been like a DIY art space and bands have played there. And then at one point, um, no one was there because it became too dangerous to be in the home. Um, and it sat there unrented for a while. I found out who owned it and I contacted them and I spent five years trying to just acquire the property because as a recording studio, if a developer or someone else were to buy that property and tear it down and start putting something up, I, I wouldn't, I'd be out of business. So because of the noise and um, I obviously wouldn't have any control over when that would happen and it would be a disaster, especially with a, a six inch property line. Uh, so eventually uh, it worked out. I was able to purchase the property. I did look into um, seeing if it was salvageable, uh, both the front and especially the back. The garage would turn into a little house. And I went in with a contractor I've worked with before. And I mean, the, they're pretty scary. And he said, even if we did like a stripped it down to the studs, rebuilt it and did everything you could, it, it's going to have structural issues forever. Um, and so uh, my plan is at this point, I just want to demolish the property so it's not a, li not a liability. Um, it's kind of, it, it is scary having it next door and then the level out the property and I have no plans besides that at the moment. Um, and that's about all I have to say really. Commissioner Allison Chopra asked if the staff had any findings on the building being structurally unsound. Branya said that the staff didn't have any reports on its structural integrity. Commissioner Doug Bruce said that he has seen the building degrade over time and would still support the demolition. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just down the street from this, and I've seen this house fall in disrepair and wondered about it. Um, uh, and I see, I've seen over time the amount of, uh, it has over time had people kind of living in it and coming in off the alley to the east side of it. Um, and again, I hate to see it go, but you know, we've, uh, when a house has not been in a historic district uh, and it's just listed as contributing, we've tended to be a little uh, less concerned. I know that, uh, that's been an issue brought up before, but, uh, but typically if a house is just contributing and, and again, not in a district, then we've, we've allowed for, full demolition. So uh, given the condition of the house, I support the petition. Commissioner Sam DeSolar asked the petitioner to consider donating any salvageable and original materials from the house to the Historic Preservation Commission. Three comments. One, if there's anything existing in the, in the house that's original that you would be willing to donate to BRI, that's always greatly appreciated. Uh, two, um, you know, I, I'm sad to see this one go. And I would in, encourage the owner to consider doing some development when you have it under your control. Uh, that'll fill in the, you know, the, the missing tooth that's going to be left when you tear it down, um, but also won't uh, uh, disturb your recording studio. So if, if you can, you know, long term, that would be lovely. In response, Brodovsky shared some plans he has for the property. We've got some plans. We've considered a community garden. Um, my studio is having a 20-year anniversary um, this summer, and 
we plan on having the concert celebration on the property as a community event fundraiser for local charities. And uh, eventually we might, if we do build something, we would uh, be very conscientious of making it tasteful and contributing to the community. Chopra added that she was disappointed the designation as historically significant was not applied here. It always disappoints me when we can't um, designate a home significant because of the previous owners. Um, so I just think that Mrs. Pearl Robertson should get a little time in this meeting. Um, she's no less significant than someone who may have been a dean at our college or a president in our college. And I, I always regret that that's um, something that we have to look at. And unfortunately, status is what determines whether or not it's historic. The commission voted unanimously to waive the rest of the demolition delay waiting period. The next Bloomington Historic Preservation Commission meeting will be held on March 9th. In today's feature report, Big Talk producer Michael Glab invited all declared candidates for the City of Bloomington's 2023 mayoral race to appear on the programme in weekly instalments. This week we hear a conversation with mayoral candidate Kelly Thompson. Thompson has served as an executive director for IU's Centre of Rural Engagement since 2018. Stay tuned to Big Talk and the WFHB Local News for more editions featuring mayoral candidates before the 2023 municipal primary on May 2nd. still mayoral election season here in Bloomington, Indiana. A couple of weeks ago, we had on candidate for the Democratic nomination for mayor, Susan Sandberg, the outgoing at-large city council member. We already have an invitation in to Don Griffin, the realty business gentleman who also was the deputy mayor here in Bloomington. Today, in the studio with me, candidate for mayor in that Democratic primary, Carrie Thompson. Carrie, welcome to Big Talk. Thanks, Mike. So good to be with you. Carrie has just come from uh, parts uh, around the state. Uh, she knows this state. She wasn't born here. We're going to get into that, but she came here. She loves it, I guess. I do. Bloomington is just an incredible city. Well, you'd have to love it if you're going to run for mayor of this town. Absolutely. I picked it out of the whole country to move to. Now, let me give you some of the important dates here for this election season. The last date to register if you want to vote in the primary is Monday, April 3rd. The first day of early voting is Tuesday, April 4th. The primary election day itself is Tuesday, May 2nd and the general election, Tuesday, November 7th. You know, I was talking to your campaign manager, Jacob, uh, and I said, what are your thoughts about 
this being a one-party town. Carrie, what are your thoughts about this being a one-party town? Being a one-party town means that uh, we differentiate ourselves in the primary season. (laughs) Now, that's not to say that uh, there won't be a Republican or independent contender. In fact, we we hear there may be an independent contender. And the Republican Party also can caucus in a candidate should they so desire under state law. Yes, until July we the the race is still open, but lots of things do get decided here in May and um so this democratic nomination really is very important. Now back in November of 2022, two-term mayor John Hamilton announced that he wasn't running for a third term. John Hamilton faced quite a number of challenges here and continues to face them as he holds the office until January 1st, I believe, uh, is when the inauguration will be. Why the heck do you want to get into that morass of problems? (laughs) Well, you know... That is the question that uh, that most people ask. Why on earth do you want to be mayor? And the answer really for me is very simple. What we're doing is not working. It's very clear. Our government is not functioning well. Um, the city's not talking to the county. The city's not talking to IU. We have a growing number of challenges, which are really, frankly, only compounded by the fact that we're not collaborating very well um, with our partners. And I'm a person who has, you know, long been an on-the-ground collaboration builder. I I work alongside people to really create vision that we can all move towards together. And I have a history of bringing people together, um, frequently people who don't uh, at the surface agree with one another to to work towards tangible change. Bloomington's really a great city, and our city government should be great too. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of that history. Uh, Right now, you continue to be the executive director of the uh, Indiana University Center for Rural Engagement, which is, I suppose, a reason why you go gallivanting around the state a lot. (laughs) It is a reason that I go gallivanting around the state. Um, The center was started five years ago with a vision to partner with communities, um, to work with um, community leaders, whether they're ordained or elected officials or not, um, to help them achieve their visions and solve their problems by leveraging their assets. And we started with just an 11-county area, and we now are in 54 different counties. And we have engaged more than 30,000 Hoosiers in just five years with our work. Now, you've been over at the Center for Rural Engagement since uh, about May 2018. Before that, for about 20 years, you were the CEO of Habitat for Humanity. Yes, I was the CEO of Habitat for Humanity. I'm very proud to still be a volunteer with Habitat. Um, I I started volunteering with Habitat uh, when I was a freshman in high school. Really, Habitat when I when I came to Bloomington, um, 
Habitat really was um, mostly volunteer run and building about a house a year. And um, by the time I left, uh, Habitat was really a very sophisticated community development organization. And we were we were able to house a lot of families and um, and really contribute to the tax base, but also make tangible progress on um, on partnering with families who were seeking to end generational poverty. Now, are you saying by volunteer that you have swung a hammer? Of course I have. <laughs> I've swung a hammer. I know how to drive a backhoe. Wow. Do you think you've ever had a mayor who knows how to drive a backhoe? I, I don't know yeah. how to drive a I don't. I don't even know what a backhoe is practically, to be <laughs> frank. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I really believe that leadership is about working with people um, and then and so that you really know. Uh, what the problems and what the assets are um, in any community that you're working with, and then equipping leaders at all levels uh, to do their job and and do it well. And um, so I was able to do that with Habitat. Lots of people may think Habitat's kind of a, a nice little nonprofit. When I took Habitat on as the CEO, it was $40,000 in debt. And by the time I left, we had a $6 million mortgage portfolio and a couple hundred thousand dollars a year of uh, donations receivable. Were you instrumental in raising money? I was indeed, yes. Um, you can't build houses uh, and build neighborhoods without money. It's incredibly capital intensive. Yeah. And that also means that I know what it takes to house our community. Um, it's not theoretical for me. I'm not just pushing paper on transactions. Um, I know what it takes to take something from an idea to a neighborhood. Um, I know what it takes to um, work with a family who has never had a mortgage and do financing education and all kinds of other education um, to help them be successful homeowners. You know, even during the mortgage crash in 2009, we had a 0% foreclosure rate, and we were lending money to people who had less money than most of the people who were having their mortgages fail. Does this say something about the people themselves, or does it say more about you? I think it says a lot about the collaboration and about what kinds of successes can be built um, when you believe in people and equip them with the right tools to succeed. You worked for Habitat for Humanity in uh, both Virginia and Lynchburg, Virginia, as a matter of fact, and Minneapolis, beautiful Minneapolis. Uh, yeah, I've worked <laughs> for Habitat in Virginia, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and Minnesota. So you were all over the place. You were gallivanting around the nation. I have a, a breadth of experience looking at housing issues all over the place. Now, in 1995, you and a friend took a cross-country bike trip. Lo and behold, you wound up in a place that you probably never heard of before, Bloomington, Indiana. That's right. Actually, uh, I, I took a bike trip with um, several friends. Uh -huh. um, we started in San Francisco, and uh, we rode east uh, back to D.C., and I did have it in my mind that I had never been um, really west of the Mississippi and that I might fall in love with the Colorado Rockies and want to move there. But 
actually the only place that really called to me during that whole trip was Bloomington, Indiana. And it called to me so profoundly. We stopped here just for 36 hours. And by you, the you've seen fabulous places, incredible you, places, you, uh, the, the Sierras, like you say, the, the Rocky yeah. Mountains, the Sierras, that's California, right. and Bloomington, Indiana. What was it? It was the sense of community, hands down. There were people having engaged conversation on sidewalks. You know, there were um, there were plenty of arts and culture events, even in the 36 hours we were here, just a myriad of uh, different restaurants, um, some of which I had never experienced before. Tibetan restaurants, where else wow. can you get a Tibetan yeah. restaurant, right? Yeah. And so what I've come to know since I moved here is that those were little elements that really are this sense of community. And that um, that sense of community is furthered and cultivated by our deep care for one another and our belief that we can continue to get better as a community. Up next, we have the latest edition of Little Bub's Little Show, a co-production between WFHB and Little Bub's Big Fund. We turn now to that segment. Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We highlight adoptable animals with special needs in South Central Indiana and spotlight topics to promote human animal welfare. First, here is today's featured animal. Today's featured animal is going to be a little different. Sycamore Land Trust's nature preserves are home to many native Indiana plants and animals, including our featured animal today, the bobcat. Bobcats are a medium-sized wildcat native to North America. They are named for their short tail that appears to have been cut or bobbed, which is white on the bottom and black striped on the top. Their ears are black-tipped and pointed, and they have large tufts of fur on their cheeks. The spotted patterning on their fur acts as camouflage. Bobcats are crepuscular, which means they are active mostly during twilight. They are fast and can run up to 30 miles per hour. They are also excellent climbers and jumpers and are able to travel up to 12 feet in a single bound. While they prefer rabbits and other small creatures for food, they can hunt and kill animals much larger than they are, including deer. Bobcats are largely solitary and rarely seen because of their ability to blend into their surroundings and move silently. Bobcat vocalizations are rarely heard by humans. But in southern Indiana, Sycamore Land Trust is monitoring bobcats living on our nature preserves 
using motion-triggered wildlife cameras installed along game trails. These cameras have captured multiple bobcat families, traveling and hunting together, and even recorded a bobcat mother calling to her kittens to catch up. You can watch the footage at sycamorelandtrust.org wildlife. You're listening to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production of WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We now turn to this week's featured topic. Today's topic is animal welfare and land stewardship. Oftentimes people think of animal welfare and land stewardship as very separate topics, but at the Bub Fund, we encourage you to think of the ways animal welfare intersects with other work. So how do animal welfare and land stewarding work together? On a global scale, land conservation is a critical piece of animal welfare, often protecting the habitats of many wildlife species. Having a protected green space with accessible trails provides a place for people to connect with their animals, unplug, and be in nature. We're lucky to have an incredible organization in southern Indiana, Sycamore Land Trust, a nonprofit conservation organization that has been protecting land, restoring habitat, and connecting people to nature in southern Indiana since 1990. Sycamore Land Trust owns and cares for more than 10,500 acres on over 125 protected properties and maintains trails on 13 preserves for free public use. Sycamore Land Trust owns and cares for more than 10,500 acres on over 125 protected properties. They maintain trails on 13 preserves for free public use. They have accessible nature preserves, some right in the middle of neighborhoods, and they're a great place to find nature preserves to hike, discover new habitats, and share the great outdoors with family and friends. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB, produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specialising in solar hot water, solar electricity and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs software power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mbisolarenergy.com. listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noelle Herhusky-Snyder in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Michael Glab. 
Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and The Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Ruth Flegman. And I'm Lucy Kellison. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for A Heavy Wave, a reinvestigation into the disappearance of Joseph Smedley, coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 